All right, thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel this morning. 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. I want to give you a little background to the, the thought, and then we'll give you some, uh, some practical uh, points to the message here. 2 Samuel, chapter number 23. And if you have a cell phone that's out and in your hand, if you'd be so kind to put it in your back pocket or hand it to a stranger that may want to sell it on eBay or something. No, but just uh, let's go and get that temptation out and let's turn it on vibrate or on mute. And that way we can honor God and his word today by putting him first with no distractions and focused only on him. Ushers, would you help us? Uh, if, uh, if people leave, they have to come back in and sit in the back. They can't be coming back and forth after we get into the message, please. Okay, Second Samuel, we used this text about three weeks ago as we spoke on the subject of bitterness. And many of you were here. We will not speak on that subject again, but we will use the same text. God's word is so rich, you can squeeze it like a lemon and the next time you squeeze that verse, it's just as full. It never depletes. It never dries out. This is a rich book. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, this is the end of David's life. This is the David that was the shepherd boy. He's the David that had the eight brothers. This is the David that killed the giant who's in all the children's Sunday school lessons. Now this is the end of his life. It's important how you end. And let me just say this, if you're, if you're starting to reach uh, midway and now you start calling yourself middle age, or maybe you're even past middle age and you'd say, you know, I'm kind of retirement years, older age, it's important how you finish. Uh, anyone can start and restart along the way, but as you get older, it is vital. Every decision, everything you do, you want to finish strong. And notice, these are David's last words. Notice what he says, 2 Samuel 23. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse. I like this. These are his last words. He said, by the way, did I tell you about my daddy? His name's Jesse. One of the biggest problems in America today is a father-child relationship. A lot of missing dads. A lot of dads who've never been met. And we have to deal with that in our life. We either forgive and move on or we let that control us and wreck our life. And we don't have to do that. David, he's ending right. He said, did I tell you about my dad? And said, the man who raised up on high. David said, it was God that took me from the pasture, put me on the throne of Israel. The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Then he says in verse 3, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of the Lord. He shall be as the light of the morning. He's, he's bragging on God. When the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing up out of the earth, by clear shining after the rain. Then David says, Although my house... Be not so with God. What's he saying? David says, God is everything to me. But then he says, but he's not everything to my family. 
God is number one in my life, but he's not number one with my mate or my kids. You know, happy is the family who all at the end is heading the same direction. But thank God for individuals. By the way, we will be judged individually before the Lord. Thank God for individuals who still serve the Lord, even though their family is not real interested in that. And David says, my family didn't care about God like I did, but it didn't stop me caring about God how I did. And I just love this, but here's the text. The last phrase of verse 1, God calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. When I was a little kid in Louisiana, it was common for mothers to say when a boy went out to play, be sweet. It's not a real masculine term. You know, if Brother Schulte, who's the John Wayne of our church, if he came up to the front now and I said, he sure is a sweet man, he wouldn't be happy with that. Real men don't want to be described. You know, we want to hear tough, macho, uh, he's the man. We don't want to hear sweet. But God looked down from heaven and said to David, you're the sweet psalmist of Israel. little background, I gave it three weeks ago. Here's what David went through. The runt of the litter, his brothers picked on him. His pastor Samuel died. He had a marriage that was not good. His wife wouldn't follow. He had a son that abused one of his daughters. His other son murdered that son. Another son was killed in battle hanging from a tree. He was run out of town, had to live in a cave. His own son tried to murder him. He had a baby die that was very young. And notice how God describes that man at the end of his life, sweet. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. There's a uh, sauce in Chinese restaurants, it's called sweet and. And I have found out, well, that's where I get some of my sermons, by the way. So today I'm speaking on sweet or sour at the end of your life, you'll probably be one of those. And the choices you make with what happens in your life will determine if you're some sour old person or even God looks down and says, what a sweet person. I want to end my life, and I'm not planning on it anytime soon, but sometimes my wife tells me it's, it's going to be real soon. <laughs> I'm not planning on going to heaven anytime soon, but if I do, I'm hoping someone says, what a sweet man. What a sweet man. What was it that made this David a sweet man at the end of his life? I want to give you just a whole lot of thoughts here this morning, and I'm just going to run through them. If we don't finish, it'll be part two tonight, but I'm going to try to get through them. And just something I think you could take personally and sweeten your relationship, sweeten your marriage, sweeten your relationship with your kids, sweeten your relationship, young people, with your siblings at work. This will sweeten anything. And it's not artificial sweetener. It's real. 
Father, bless now the brief time we have. Help us say just what ought to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. So what was it? Oh, by the way, David is called. He said this, I have been young, now am old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed or children begging bread. He said, I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of God than to live in the tents of the wicked. This man said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He said, I will praise him more and more. So what were the secrets to his life? Number one, here it is. He was saved and he knew it. He was saved and he knew it. Years ago, we had a choir opener. The choir would sing every Sunday and it started like this. Because I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved. And that was the chorus. That Sunday, we had the organist at the Mormon church visiting our church. I didn't know who she was. She made an appointment the next day. She said, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. I said, you have any church background? She says, Mormon. I said, well, great. I'm glad you came. Here's what she said. When I watched the choir sing and I watched their expression, I realized they had something I didn't have. And she said, and I want it. And that lady gave her heart to Christ in the office that day. David said this. Let me just read it just real quickly. David said this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit. Pit of what? Guilt. Pit of what? Lostness. Pit of what? Needing mercy. Out of the miry clay, he set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. Verse 10. And he, he said, I will declare thy salvation. Here's what David said. I was in this pit of sin. God reached down, picked me up, put me on something solid, uh, a rock himself. And he said, and I've got salvation. What's that mean? What is, what is salvation? It simply means you believe that Jesus Christ was God. He left heaven, came to the earth lived a perfect life, died on the cross. And when he died, God did a miracle. He took the sins of the entire world, past, present, future, even ours, put the payment on himself. And when he died, God says, paid in full. It is finished. No one has to go to hell if they'll trust Jesus Christ only as their savior. That's what being saved is. I love it. Why is it so sweet? It's a gift. It's free. That's, that's a Baptist good price. Baptists love that word, free. It's their favorite word. We're having food tonight. How much? Free. I'll be there. Uh, 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 we're doing this. How much? Free. And salvation is a free gift. Not free for him, free for us. Expensive for him, free for us. It, it, not only that, it's, uh, it's obtainable. It is simple. It is understandable. You don't need a dictionary to understand it. Don't have to have a PhD. It's not just for the educated. It's for everyone. It's unconditional. And it's a no-so salvation. The great thing about being saved is you can know it your whole life. Many religions, they teach you got to wait till you die and find out if you made it or not. When you close your eyes, you walk the streets of gold or you start burning. And you have to wait and it's a surprise. I'm glad we as Christians can know, whoo, it is settled. I'm saved 
and I know it. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I know I'm married. I know I'm a dad. I know where I live. I know which car I drive. I know where my keys are sometimes, but I know I'm saved. I know I'm, I was there when it happened. If you're saved, you'll know when and where it happened. You'll remember who explained the gospel to you. And David, why was he a sweet man? He knew he was saved. What a miserable life to live a whole life wondering, am I going up? Am I going down? Have I done enough good things to earn heaven? How do you know? I don't know. How can you enjoy anything about life if you don't know you're going to spend eternity with people that are dearest to you? I'm glad if no matter what happens, my wife and I are spending eternity together. We're going to live forever together and walk the streets of gold. And my kids will too because they've accepted Christ. Number two, we must hasten the message or we'll be here all day. God was his security. David says, the Lord is my rock. He alone is my rock. Now folks, let me just say this. You put your security in our government, you're going to have problems. It's changing all the time. You put yourself, uh, uh, all your security in a certain party, uh, you're going uh, to be rocked back and forth. Things change. People's beliefs change. People change. Weather changes. Climate changes. Jobs change. But God never changes. He says, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. This book right here, it never changes. That's where your security is. I remember the last big earthquake we had when it, when, it, when it moved our bed into the middle of the bedroom and when it knocked off my wife's teacup collection and, uh, and uh, all the doors in the house came open. You remember refrigerator door, all the food is smashed and all the doors and cars are honking. And, and uh, I don't know what you did. My wife screamed. That didn't help any. What did you do, pastor? I just reached over. Well... It's just an earthquake. Here's the word of God. Let's read it. No, I, I held on to her. Ah! Why? Everything that was secure was moving. And God says, when the whole world is sh when your whole world is shaking, broken hearts, you buried a loved one. I buried my mother two weeks ago. My dad's already in heaven. Did that? Hey, I hurt. I wept. I couldn't talk at the funeral. Was my world shaken? Yes, but God steadied it because I'm going to see her again. That's my mother. She was saved. She had accepted the Lord. David says, he alone is my rock. Corey Ten Boom, the kidnapped woman that was put in the concentration camp there in Ravensbrück during World War II, she said this, when I found out God was all I had. I realized he was all I need. And you'll find that sometimes God will pull your security out from under you, whether it's a person or a situation or money or whatever it is. So he'll get you to look up and say, hey, I'm still here. I haven't left you. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Number three, why did David have a sweet spirit? He fought God's enemies, not God's people. Let me encourage you young people right here today. Your enemy is not your mom and dad. They may have rules. They may have curfew. They may tell you how it is. They may make you do homework. Your mother may be wicked and even make you eat spinach. They're not your enemy. 
I remember when I was a teenager, I hit about 13 or 14, I said, I don't like curfew. I don't like the, uh, the rules. I can't wait till I'm a parent. I'm going to let my kids do anything. And then we started having kids ask Jonathan. They had to ask permission to breathe. <laughs> Can we breathe now? Not yet. <laughs> let me encourage you. Get off social media. Get off social media. Picking on people, fighting people. Well, here's what I think. You ought to, hey, get your nose out of everybody's business, and start fighting the devil. Start passing out gospel tracts. Win some souls. Try to get people to church. If we, if we did the good news enough, we wouldn't have to deal with the bad news so much. David fought God's enemies, not God's people. Quickly, he looked for the good. Scripture says in Psalm 27, Oh, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had fainted or quit unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's he saying? Look for the good. Look for the good in people. Well, did you see how that person dressed at church today? Hey, I'm just glad they had clothes. You should have seen them last week. <laughs> I can't believe that teenager didn't sit up in church and listen. Hey, if you had the home that that teenager had, you'd be kissing their feet just thanking them for coming to church. Look for the good. Look for the good in your mate. Look for the good in your kids. Look for the good in the trials and the situation. Look for the good in others. Stop noticing the specks and the negatives. David looked for the good. Quickly, he kept a song in his heart. He kept a song in his heart. There was an old song we used to sing. It was called, Get the New Look from the Old Book. would hold up the Bible when we sang book or Bible. Get the new look from the Bible. The inward look, the outward look. The upward look from the old, old book. Get the new look from the old book. Well, a pastor was singing that song and he was walking across the street, had a newspaper, and he was just holding up the newspaper. Get the new look from the old book. Taxi cab pulled over and said, okay, get in. He said, I wasn't flagging you down. I was just singing. And the cab driver said, what song? He said, get the new look from the old book. He said, what new look? He said, well, let me tell you about it. And he led the guy to Christ. So we have newspapers for everyone on the way out, and you can be singing that song all over town. He kept a song in his heart. You know, here's what I hear often. I'll visit door to door, inviting people to church. I'll hear this. My kids used to ride your bus, and we would always hear them singing those church songs when they got home. And we wondered, what was it about those church songs? Songs attract. It's something about, people don't sing anymore. Tell you a sweet story real quick. And I'm not going to embarrass the person. So yesterday, I'm giving the gospel to someone. And the person they were with knew how to play piano. We we're sitting close to piano. And they knew the gospel songs, the church songs. I gave the gospel to this person and she prayed and accepted Christ as Savior. Then guess what happened? He started playing. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. She looked at me. No one's ever done this. She said, would you sing? I've never ever told someone how to get saved. They got saved and they looked at me and said, would you sing? I said, yes. At the cross, at the cross. And I sang that whole song. 
David had a song in his heart. Do you ever sing? You know, it ought to be some song. You may not hit the words. Get you a hymn book, some church song, some part of a song you heard in Sunday school, just something about God. Something that's going to last forever. Not just the modern stuff. A lot of that stuff's sad or mad or, or, or sensuous. But, you know, up in heaven, we're going to be talking about Jesus a lot. Quickly, why did David have a sweet spirit? We must hasten. He fessed up when he messed up. Folks, let me encourage you. God does not require perfection. The name of this church is not Perfect Baptist Church. Because none of us could attend. We could drive by. That's my church. Woo, man, I love my church. But you couldn't come in. None of us could. Psalm chapter 38, David's confessing his sins. He's the man who God said, he's the man after God's own heart. Only one person God ever said that about. Yet, a whole chapter, he's saying, Lord, I've sinned. I'm sorry. I blew it. I messed up. I'm sorry. And you know it. I know it. Please forgive me. Psalm 51. Cleanse me. He said, I feel so dirty. He said, wash me. My mind is dirty. My heart is dirty. I'm guilty. He said, I'll tell people about you if you give me my joy back. He fessed up when he messed up. Why don't we do that? He said, well, pastor, if I admitted to God I've sinned, he would know I'm a sinner. <laughs> oh, wouldn't he be surprised? <laughs> Confession is simply telling God what he already knows. He already saw it. Well, why does he want us to admit it? Because it's just a part of the healing process. You tell him, and then he says, what are you talking about? He forgets it immediately. Messed up when he messed up. Must hasten quickly. David spent time with godly leaders. David looked for people who were further ahead than himself. And he spent time with them. Like who? Samuel. The king was trying to kill David. David got on his horse or donkey or whatever it was or his Nikes or Air Jordans. And he got over to Samuel and says, he's trying to kill me. What should I do? He ran to get some advice. Gad, a man of God. Nathan, a man of God. He was close to the authorities. Let me encourage you. Find someone who's godly that knows the Bible. They don't have to be a pastor. They don't have to be world-renowned. They don't have to be an author of books. But find someone that knows this book. And when you're hurting and you're going through some tough times, just sit down, buy them a cup of coffee, and just say, hey, let me bounce something off of you. What do you think I ought to do? That's what David did. Not only that, quickly, this as well. He was under his authorities. Under his authorities. You see, as you read the six books of the Bible about David, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, his dad said, go bring your brother some lunch. Yes, sir. He was under authority. He didn't argue with his dad. He just did it. He worked for the king. It's time to play the harp. Yes, sir. He was always under authority. Then he got married and he did what his wife told him. He was always under. Some of you ladies are saying, yep, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. I don't have time to tell you that. He was under authority. Quickly here, I'll just give you the rest and we're out of time.
Number next, he didn't repeat the bad news. Folks, let me just encourage you here. You have one mouth, you got two ears. Anytime you say something negative, whether it's about your life or someone else's life, you hear it too. And if you're always hearing negative, guess, guess who you're going to be? You're going to be negative. Don't get baptized today. You'll probably electrocute yourself to death. There's no law that says every time you hear something, you have to repeat it to everybody you know. That's not a law. The Bible says King Saul died. King Saul was trying to kill David. Jonathan, his son, died in battle. As soon as David heard it, he wept and he mourned. Then here's what he said. Tell it not in Gath. Don't let the enemy know about this. Don't tell them. We don't want them to know they got a victory. I thought that's pretty good. You know, you'd do better probably praying for people than gossiping about people. Have you heard? Well, let me ask you before you tell me, have you told him about it? Have you been on your knees praying for that person before you spread it everywhere? You know, you do reap what you sow. You do realize that, right? You spread junk, junk's going to be spread on you. True or false? Here we go. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. What about it? Quickly. He did not retaliate. He did not retaliate. Pastor, somebody said this about me. And somebody posted this about me. And uh, it's already had two viewers. <laughs> I mean, man, it's going viral. It's already been two viewers. It's not true. What should I do? Keep your mouth shut. David had a king trying to kill him. David's in a cave. The king happened by God's direction to go into the cave and he didn't see David and his men with their swords. And some scholars believe the king actually took a nap in the cave. His soldier said, ain't God good. <laughs> ain't God good. We're taking the king's head off. He's been chasing you for years. Let's put him out of his misery. David said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not going to retaliate. That's God's job. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will take care of him. You say, did God take care of David's enemy? You tell me he got shot full of arrows during a battle. Then tried to kill himself because he knew he was going to be abused by the enemy. He still wasn't dead. Then he begged uh, Amalekite, come finish me off. And he finished him off. So it's like he almost died three times. Pretty brutal. That was a lot worse than just... God will take care of your enemies. Leave them alone. Okay, I'm not getting any amens on that. It's like, Pastor, I agree with everything. Can I be semi-sweet? <laughs> At the end of my life, I just want to be semi-sweet. <laughs> Quickly, he had a godly friend. What did David have? He had a friend. You know who his friend was? Jonathan. So the scripture says that 3,000 enemies tried to find David, but they couldn't find him. But one friend named Jonathan found David. Isn't that something? He was a real friend. He came to him in a time of need. 
to strengthen his hands in the Lord. He said, I'm here for you. Years ago, there was a pastor in Woodland, California, and he was having some trouble in his church. I called him on the phone. He sounded discouraged. I said, I'll be your speaker Wednesday night. He said, do what? I said, I'm your guest speaker this Wednesday night. He said, I don't remember inviting you. I said, I'm coming, and I'm speaking at your church this Wednesday night. I'm going to try to help you. He said, Pastor, lovingly, what did you preach on? I preached on how to spot a wolf in the church. (laughs) It was very kind, very subtle. (laughs) How to spot a wolf. I was just trying to help him because I'm his friend. And he's still serving the Lord today. Let's keep going here quickly. You okay? I think we got three minutes. Are we all right? Okay, here we are. Not only that, but this too. He prayed often. All throughout scripture, it'll say, evening and morning and at noon will I pray. David was always praying. He was a praying person. Not only that, but this too. God's word was a big part of his life. I love it. It says, at midnight will I arise and meditate on thy word. Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible deals with God's word. David was consumed with this book. That's why he had a sweet spirit. And then I'm just about done here. He was zealous of God's house. I I love it. They were bringing the ark back to Israel and they were bringing it back to Jerusalem. And David was so excited. It was like a parade. He leaped, he jumped, he did an end zone type dance. He was so excited because they were bringing the ark back. He loved God's house. He just loved it. Now, I don't know if you're like me. There's a lot of things we talked about this morning that make a person a sweet person. Is there not at least one of those you could add to your life today to make life just a little bit sweeter, marriage a little sweeter, just life day by day a little sweeter, Must have worked for David. I think David's had a whole lot more trials than I've ever had. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Wouldn't it be good? The sweet Vallejo person of Vallejo. Who is that? Oh, that's the sweet Yontville person. Oh, that's the sweet psalmist of Napa. Wouldn't that be something? You know, the only complaint we ought to get in this town ought to be they're just too sweet. Those people at Hopewell Baptist, they're just too sweet. They're just too nice. I just can't stand it. Give us some normal people smashing and grabbing. But we can't handle sweet. It changed some things. Hard to yell and argue with someone who's sweet to you. Maybe you're here today. You've never been saved. It all starts with getting saved. I recommend him to you, the Savior. Jesus, the name above every name. He's the one that died for you and rose again, the one that's praying for you now, seated up in heaven, building a mansion for you. And all you have to do is by faith receive him as your Savior. You could do that today.